Good morning, everyone. Terran Parshas Truman Tetzavah discusses all the collections that were made for the construction of the Mishkan and the creation of the Kalim and all of the Begadim. Um, and Chazal learned a number of halachas out from the manner in which these collections uh, took place and were conducted, which are relevant to collections of tzedakah today, and particularly to the role of the, uh, the Gabbai tzedakah. For example, the Apostle says in this coming week's parish, in Parshas Tetzavah, Veheim Yechuas Hazahav, Kesef, that the, and they collected the gold and the silver and all of the other materials that were necessary for the big day kahuna over here on the uh, fourth line of the Gemara Baba Basra and Chesma Bay. So from this, the Gemara derives that that in order to, uh, for one to go collecting tzedakah, he, should have, uh, he shouldn't do it alone. He should have a partner together with him. Um, as the Pasuk implies, that they went collecting um, tzedakah. So it sounds like they went together in a pair and not that one individual went uh, by himself. So the Gemara explains over here why you need a person to collect tzedakah together with someone else. He shouldn't do it alone. It's not because he's not believed. It's because this was a position of authority over the community because sometimes they would pressure people or, or, or maybe even compel people to give tzedakah. And since it was a position of authority, you can't make a position and install someone in a position of authority over the tzibor by himself. It has to be something that's together with someone else. So it's obvious that it's on behalf of the community and not that it's one person who has a vendetta against someone else. But the Gemara here explains, it's not because that they're not believed. But one person would be believed. It's not like you can't have one person in charge of this entity because of a lack of, of, of trustworthiness. It's because... Um, it's a position of authority which would persuade and compel others, and therefore it had to have, you know, it demanded to have two. And therefore the Gemara says, I apologize for the line I'm in the middle of this, uh, these words. Rebbe appointed two brothers to do this together, even though, of course, they are partial to one another and wouldn't necessarily inform on one another. This wasn't a matter of trustworthiness, it was a matter of authority over the seabird, and that's why you needed two people. The Gemara does um, uh, indicate. Uh, later on, uh, over here, Ois Gimel, that when a person is appointing this individual who's going to be the Gabbai Stuck, you should appoint people who are trustworthy, <laughs> obviously. The Gemara says, <laughs> The person who's appointed as the Gabbai Stuck should be um, like Rebbe Hanina ben Trajan. Taisa says it doesn't mean he has to be a tzaddik. You know, Rebbe Hanina ben Trajan was an unusual tzaddik. If that's the standard, we're not going to have too many Gabbai Stuck. What it means is he has to be Nemon. He doesn't have to be as the Ramah man, he should be as wise, meaning savvy. Like Rabbi Hanina ben Trajan, okay, so he should be a savvy individual, but he doesn't have to be a tzaddik like Rabbi Hanina ben Trajan, but he has to be as honest like Rabbi Hanina ben Trajan. Because there was once a Maisa, the Gemara records here in the Zara, that Rabbi Hanina ben Trajan, who was the Gabbai Tzaka, collected most of Purim and most Tzaka, they got confused in his pocket, and by accident he gave all the most Purim out with Tzaka, and there were no more money. There was no more money for the Matanas of Yoni, maybe for Purim or for the uh, Mishleach Manas, whatever they were collecting for to help people with their Suda. And therefore, you know, they were depleted the funds for, for Purim. So in order to, and because he wasn't sure exactly what happened over here, he left all the money with the Aniyim, he gave it to them, and he uh, covered the loss of the most Purim himself. 
So that was a tremendous amount. Obviously, he had resources and was able to do it, but, but that's a tremendous amount of honesty and integrity that was displayed by Rebbe Hanin ben Trajan. And therefore, the Gemara says over here that a person who's appointed as a Gabbai Stucker should have that level of Namanos and, and trustworthiness. We're zeichel to have our Gabbai Stucker, who's not sponsoring this year. And the shir is in your honor, and all the inyanim that we are Isaac and together, we have the source of doing it, and it's a pleasure and an honor to work with the Baron. Hashem, we have our own Rebbe Chanina bin Trajan over here. But that's a person has to be careful to appoint those uh, who are, you know, who are going to be the Gabbai Saka, to be honest and trustworthy individuals. That's why Ramosh has a fascinating test. In Yeridea, where he was opposed to giving to Federation. In that time, it must have been a controversial thing, because there were big pockets of Orthodox community that were giving to Federation. I even remember someday, like Super Sunday, I remember people sitting on phones and shuls and things. So Ramaisha is a tshuva, and the Gosmaisha, not to give to the, was against giving to the Federation, uh, because, for two reasons, because they uh, supported uh, institutions that were not deserving of our charitable funds. And um, because the people who were collecting the money uh, were not worthy of our trust, necessarily. So, two pieces to that, you know, to that psaq. Number one, some of them are not deserving of psaq. But the other part of it, which is important, is that those who are collecting this psaq, maybe the organization itself, wasn't worthy necessarily of our trust or the level of trust that, you know, that is required in order to be appointed as a Gabbai Saka. So the Gabbai Saka who's appointed should be an Ish Nemon, person who is known to the community to be trustworthy. Um, but once he is appointed to that position, it doesn't sound like, you know, we look over his shoulder. That once we appoint to that position, he is, he is believed. And this is reinforced by the Gemara over here. Once a person is appointed as a Gabbai Tzedakah, you don't make him give an accounting. There's no requirement necessarily for transparency that he open up the books. I think Mark quotes from the Pussing, say from Malachim, with regards to the collections that are made for the Binyu Beis Amikdash, we assume that they're doing, you know, they're, they're, they're doing, uh, you know, the, the right thing because the people we appointed these positions in the first place should be trustworthy. And therefore, once we do have that, you know, they made it through that interview and vetting process, then we assume that, uh, you know, we don't have to look over their shoulder and to, you know, ask to see the books and all those kinds of things. At the same time, the Mishnah says, Masech the over here, Oishei, which is a well-known halacha, that the Gizbar, who would go into the, uh, into the uh, Lishka, into the uh, treasury of the Beis HaMikdash, in order to take money to pay the bills of the Beis HaMikdash, to purchase animals for Kabonos and all that was necessary for the business of the Beis HaMikdash, He can't come in with pants that have pockets or any other kind of you know, hiding place within his garments. He's not allowed to wear shoes or socks or anything where he can hide any money. The mission explains because if he becomes rich, people are going to say he was skimming off the top. And if he becomes poor, people are going to say, ha-ha, Hashem got him because he was skimming off the top. So either way, it's a lose-lose situation. If the guy becomes poor, if the guy, if he gets, if he stays the same, he's all right. But, but, but either way, people are going to be critical of him. And the mission, the Apostolic says in Parashas Matos in connection with the Bnei Gadim, the Ruvain, Right, who wanted to stay may Aver Yarden, and Mesh Rabbeinu says them, it's not gonna look good for you guys because we helped you conquer Aver Yarden, you're not gonna help us conquer the rest of Eretz Israel. So made the Tanai, they got Ruven, you can settle Aver Yarden if you first come and help us conquer the rest of Eretz Israel for your brethren. Because you have to be the Yisim Nikimi Yashamli Yisrael. Forget about the fact that you feel you did the right thing in the eyes of the Rebunishalam. You can't have Klaw Yisrael being upset at you either or suspecting you of doing, you know, being uh, being uh, underhanded and you planned it this way that you should we should help you and you shouldn't help us, and therefore uh, you know, in order to be the Yisim Nekim Hashem Yisrael, they were obligated to go and help Kaiso conquer the rest of Eretz Yisrael. So, so too over here, even if this Gabai or this Gizber believes that what he's doing and we, he knows what he's doing is right, and he, he's good with the Rebbeinu Shalalam, 
he's not good with Klal Yisrael if they're suspicious of him. And you have to, there's a requirement to be, uh, to make sure that your reputation is clean in the eyes of Klal Yisrael. In fact, some Sefer has a famous comment in one of his uh, chuvas, I think it's in the Chelek Vav, the Kutim, some Sefer laments that it's easier sometimes in a certain manner to be clean or to be honest or to be, you know, to be, uh, to, to be uh, you know, on the right page with the Rebbe Shalom than it is with the rest of Klal Yisrael. The Rebbe Shalom, if you know you did what, you, what is right, you're okay, you can go to sleep easy. Sometimes, though, the rest of Klal Yisrael is always suspicious of you and therefore it creates a little bit, uh, a little bit more, uh, you know, uh, agmas nefesh and that's a little bit harder, harder to resolve. As a result of this, we'll get to this. Oh, this is one of the bases from Marasayin. Exactly. There's two reasons for sign. One is people will think, if I'm eating in McDonald's, people will think maybe McDonald's is kosher. Or, it's, and another guy say, well, there are lots of Jews. We people see, do that all the time. A restaurant must be kosher. There's so many people there with the yarmulkes. Um, and it might not be. So then it's, it's going to lead people to violate an Easter. And the other reason Rashi has invited this out from our sign is because they're going to suspect me. I, you know, oh, I'm OTD now because, you know, I, I went in this place. And that's going to hurt my reputation, even though they don't know I'm just going in to get a Coke or to use the restroom or something. So that's uh, the two, two concerns you always have in my time. I thought you were going to ask something else. But anyway, the Mishnah says over here, we have to be concerned with that. And the, the uh, Medrash over here, Aisvav, says that that's exactly why Moshe Rabbeinu, in his uh, collections for the Mishkan, gave an accounting. Eile Pekude Mishkan. These are the, you know, the, 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 the numbers that Moshe Rabbeinu collected for the Mishkan, and he had a kind of a, you know, a, 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 a meeting with the rest of Klai Yisrael, explaining where all the, how much money he collected and where all the money went. And the Medrash explains that the reason why he did this was because because Klai Yisrael there, you know, could be suspicious even of Moshe Rabbeinu, right? Who spoke face-to-face with Rebbe Shalom. Nonetheless, Klai Yisrael could be suspicious of him that he was skimming off the top or what happened to the extra. And the Medrash says, what happened to all the extra and what happened? Well, they want to know where all the money went. So Moshe Rabbeinu gave an accounting. He gave a cheshbin. And he showed the books where everything, where everything went. Based on this halach of Yisim Nekiyah Meisham Yisrael. So therefore the Ramah writes, back in Ois Dawid, Shulchan Aruch says, We don't make the Gabay Tzedakah give an accounting. Right, the pasuk with regards to the collections for the for the base hamikdash and say from Allah. Nonetheless, writes the Ramah on the second line. Mikol makom kideshu nikiyam eishami yisrael in order so that no one be critical of them or suspicious of them. Tayv lahem liten cheshvan. It's always good to be transparent, to open up the books and give an accounting and show where all the money was collected, how much money was collected, and where all of the money went. This is only if the gabai is a rebbechanin ben trajan type. You didn't. You weren't zayichelakaf. You don't have someone in the community who has that kind of neamanus. Or he pressured people into pointing him to this position. Then sorry, ten cheshbon. Then you know. Then uh, you know he must. Uh, he must give a cheshbon. So it sounds like from the Ramah that this is like it's a nice thing. Meikra did not require it, right? The Shulchan Aruch quoted the Gemara. You don't have to give a uh, cheshbon if the guy is Naaman, even if it's one individual, even though we normally appoint two, that's only procedural matters because he's a position of authority of the community. We can't have one person coercing others. It's not nice. It seemed personal. So you have to have two, but in terms of the Nehmanos of it, no, Hemune Meheman. One person would be believed, and that's why you don't really need an accounting. So it sounds like over here, it's like, yes, it's an ace. This is beyond the letter of the law. It's not really necessary. However, the Mishnah Shkalim said, no, this is necessary. The Gizbar cannot go in by himself. He cannot go in, uh, he cannot go in with things that have pockets, you know, pants that have pockets. He cannot go in with a place, you know, where, where, where he's hiding money. And it doesn't sound like Moshe Rabbeinu did with something that was lifnim, as sure as had in. It seems like Moshe Rabbeinu felt he was required to give an accounting where all the money went. Not that it was kind of like a midas xidus, but from the Ramah, it sounds like this is something that's extra. What's going on over here? Is this required? Is it not required? 
So Rav Chaim Knievsky is a sefer Mesech the Shkalim. It's unbelievable. Chaim is unbelievable. It's printed. I don't know. 50 years ago, but in the Sefer Shekel HaKodesh, his commentary on Mesech Lishkalim, so Chaim Knievsky asked this kasha, is this a Midas Chesidus or is a required maker? And then he makes a very compelling distinction, that there's a difference. He says over here, since procedurally we require Gabai Stucker to be paired with someone else, so there's Mimela built in transparency. If not with the community, at least with one other person, there's a Shimer who's watching over his shoulder, who sees the books too. So if there's one other Shimer who has access to the books, or can have access to the books, so then it's not required to have that kind of transparency, you know, at large. At the same time, it's good, you know, if someone else wants to see the books, it's a good thing to allow other people to see the books, but you're not, you're not required to do so, as long as other people are involved in the process. If there's no one else involved in the process, like the Gisbert, the Gisbert was all by himself, Moshe Rabbeinu was doing this all by himself, yes, he included his summer at the end, but Moshe Rabbeinu was doing this all, that was in all, only in order to pressure people, he brought him along when he needed to pressure people to have someone else there. But he wasn't involved in the bank accounts, that was only Moshe Rabbeinu, so then you're required to give a cheshman. So if there's one person involved, required, if not, then it's, it's not required, but it's uh, obviously uh, you know, a, a good thing to, uh, to, to be, have, uh, you know, ha- to have transparency. But the, the real question over here is, why is this necessary? The guy's believed. He says, believe me. What are you asking to see the books? People sometimes get offended. Be- believe me. Have, the Mishnah says, You should always judge your friend positively. So why over here? We're judging this guy negatively. We're coming with a suspicious eye. So the Chafetz Chaim is quoted. It's in a Sefer Talei Oyrois, which sometimes has unique, sometimes it's a collection from other Sfarim, sometimes they have unique things. I'm not sure where they get it from. But over here, they quote over the, this is a name on Sefer, but they quote over here uh, in the name of the Chafetz Chaim and Parshus Matos. It's a fantastic comment. The Chafetz Chaim says, no, there's a difference. If a person is a private individual, goes into, you know, a rest stop on Route 17 up to the country, even though there's Trafe restaurants in the rest stop, someone wants to say, oh, I'm eating uh, at the Trafe restaurants. What are you talking about? Have you done this? Come here. Like, have you done Judge me positively. It could be I am. Maybe I am eating the trade for restaurants. But how would you know? Have you done this? Have you done this? Judge me positively. What I'm doing is neutral. Judge me positively. However, if, what, if a person works for the T-Bar, a person works for the community, then it is built in. It is understood that you have a, a higher level of responsibility, of disclosure, than a private individual. You're not entitled any longer to the assumption of because you're working for the T-Bar. My sure they understood this. And that's why you don't go into this work working for the T-Bar unless you have a thick skin be prepared to be criticized, but at the same time, you also have to be prepared to be questioned. Sometimes in any industry that one works for the tzibur, kashras, tzedakah, maistis, anytime, sometimes people get offended. Whoa, why don't, don't you trust me? Why do you have to have oversight and transparency? Today, by the way, transparency is like ikre amuna of society. If you don't have transparency anymore, right? it used to be you could lie, shalom. you can't do that either. If you start lying, for whatever reason, it's bad. It's like a, a violation. And the other thing is transparency. Because there's been a tremendous amount of abuses. We don't need to elaborate on that. So it's important to have transparency. And if a person asks to see the books, to see, this is not a personal attack. If a person works with the seabird, so then it's understood that there is a different kind of responsibilities of disclosure that exist. And uh, it's I would say today that this is uh, you know, absolutely necessary, that there has to be some oversight and transparency of the give and take of Moisad of Tzedakah, but not only Tzedakah, this goes for all Moisad, any communal entity, there has to be, and it's to everyone's benefit, it has to be, uh, has to be some kind of, of uh, transparency, some of the disclosure, but even though it's not required, it's not required. 
as long as the person who's appointed to it is a trustworthy individual, um, it, it isn't required. But uh, but but um, if a person is doing it alone, then it might be it might be required. Me grade. And I think Rebbeim's uh, distinction is, is very good. The Gemara goes back over here and says, when you're collecting stuff, you have to have two people. Look over here, the first line of Aleph, We derived that from the pasuk in this week's parasha. Vehem Yikulas has a two people together. Tanur Rabbanon Kupeshot Stuck and Nigvis Bishnayim is Chalekes Bishloisha. So it was distributed with three, even though it was collected with two. Um, we said one person could be believed, but it was because it was a position of authority and compelling and persuading others. So it shouldn't be one person doing it alone, but it was mischalekis bishleish, it was distributed with three. Why is it mischalekis bishleish if it's collected with two? So the Gemara explains in the second line, mischalekis bishleish, kedine mominis. It's like dine mominis. Dine mominis need a basin of three. Over here, so too, you need a basin of three to distribute tzedakah. Why should you need a basin? To distribute tzedakah, so I think the answer is obvious because they didn't give out um, um, you know, uh, uh, the same amount to everyone. They gave out to the ani based on his need and you know the circumstances and presumably how much money they had in the accounts and all that. So there had to be an assessment made of this individual and how much money do you need and how much is wise to give you and all that in the conditions upon which the, you know the, the grant is being made. So since every case needs to be judged, you have to have it's, it's a dine mominis. So you have to have a based in that's a part of that process. Most stuckers, we Hashem, we have a committee who decides every case presented, how much, you know, and very discreet, as most stuckers, I believe, that distribute to, to Aniyam have, um, you know, to help people pay with expenses, different things, have a VOD, you know, of people who, you know, consulted about, I don't know if they're all kosher with Ionis, but have a VOD of people who are consulted about the matter and make, uh, you know, to the best of their, you know, abilities, an assessment of how much, you know, is necessary, and that's Kedine Mominus. Because you're deciding how much this person is entitled to from the ma'os of, of tzedakah. There's a fascinating uh, Yushalmi that the Mordechai quotes over here, Oisches. Mordechai quotes the name Yushalmi, You really need 23 Dayanim. It's if we're going to have 23 Dayanim on the Vad. Uh, you're never going to be able, it's going to be uh, too, too cumbersome. You're never going to be able to gather them together to make a decision. So because of that, they lowered it to three, like Dine Mominus. But really, it's like Dine Nefashis. A Peladika Yushalmi, why should it be like Dine Nefashis? So I think, this is my own shot. This is my own shot. And I think it's related to another Yushalmi. I think it's Yushalmi Lushitasa. I, I, I believe it's correct. And that is, um, sometimes I suggest things. I'm not sure, sure this, this, I, I, th- th- I think it's right. Um, why? Because there's another Gemara. The Gemara tells us, right? Therefore, considered like a mace. An Ani, a Suma, Why? Because their quality of life is diminished. I mean, there's other explanations for that, but that, that obviously you know, is the most obvious uh, explanation because, you know, a lower quality of life. So an Ani, an Ani is Chashuv Kemes. He's not in charge of his own destiny and he's certainly not open to help others and whatever. Um, how literally to take that statement does that mean it's mutter for someone to work on Shabbos because an ani chash of kameis is like the kind of obviously not but, but you know but there's, there's legitimacy to that, uh, to that statement so you see when a person doesn't have resources his quality of life is lower and to a certain degree that's if not literally kind of a psychonist of fascist because he has a lower quality of life and therefore when you're deciding how much money to distribute to every ani that's not just dine mominis you're deciding what is this person's quality of life that's Dina and Afoshis, and that's why you really should have needed 23 Dayanim. I think it's Yushami who she talks to. Yushami says in Mesef for Shabbos um, that when a person is uh, not sure what day Shabbos is, it's a whole Gemara, a whole Sukkim Mesef for Shabbos, a person's holy with Midbar, and he doesn't know what day is Shabbos, is Machlex in the Gemara, what should he do? Should he observe Shabbos the first day that he realizes he's lost, and then keep six days, of, you know, and then work the next six days, and then keep Shabbos again? 
um, like Maisa Bracious, Adam Arishan, his first day where he's created right before Shabbos. So his first day, full day was really Shabbos. So like Adam Arishan, his first day was Shabbos, then six days of Yimei Achel. Or maybe he should know, follow the example of the Rebbein Shalaylam, have work six days, and then keep the seventh day Shabbos. Fine, Machleks in the Gemara. So the, um, the uh, Yushalmi asked, well, Yushalmi, the Gemara asked too, let him keep every day Shabbos. I don't know which day is Shabbos. Suffolk day rise from the Chumar, keep every day Shabbos. The Gemara says, you can't keep every day Shabbos because if you keep every day Shabbos, he won't be able to work ever. He won't have any time he can work. So Yushalmi there compares it to another case discussed by the Gemara, Mishnah Mishnah is Kiddushin, of a man who marries a woman, but he's not sure which woman he married. Gave money to someone else to marry a woman for me. Not sure which woman he's, you know, he's, uh, he's, uh, I guess could happen, right? Okay. So, and he's not sure who the woman is. So then the Gemara says, He's also to every woman because maybe it's a relative of the woman he was Makadesh. It might, it might be bingo, it might be the woman he was actually Makadesh, but you don't know that. So you have to always be Kleshish. He's also Bechal Nashim Shabbayalam. So the Gemara says, well, why is that different? How come the guy, you know, who, who, who you know, can't keep Shabbat, he's not sure what day is Shabbos, doesn't have to keep Shabbos every day because it's a kind of Snefoshis. Over here, we ask him on all the Nashim Shabbayim. It sounds like they're making an equation between, between the two and the Gemara. says, no, the Yushami says, no, no, it's different because here he can marry a Giyaris. He can always marry a woman who just converted and he knows for sure she's not married, you know, related to the woman he was Makadish. So it sounds like the Gemara here is comparing one to the other, a man who, a woman who can't get married or a man who can't get married to anyone to a man, you know, who has Shabbos every day and won't have any time to work, which is a Sakonis Nefoshis. Why is having no one to get married to? I think Mara says, no, it's okay because you can always marry Giyar. So there is one woman of a few, there is a class of individuals who can't get married to. But it sounds like a person who can't get married to anyone is Sakonis Nefoshis. So if Engel has one Tshuva Laguna, his Svarma now being reprinted by some guy in months, he was working very hard on the summer of Yosef Engel. So I don't, know, I don't know why he has such a fascination with it, but Yosef Engel is fantastic. But he has one Shuvah Laguna that was out of print for a long time, now it must be back in print, where he quotes this Yushalmi, he says, you see from this Yushalmi, to be an Aguna, to have no one to marry, is Sakonis Nefoshis. That's not good enough to be Mater and Aguna, because Eishas Ish is Yaharik Val Yavor, right? But, it's Gili Arayas, but, were it not for the fact that it was Yaharik Val Yavor, Having no one to marry, Sakonis Nefoshis. Why? Why is having no one to marry, Sakonis Nefoshis? I believe that the answer is because there's no quality of life. The person is still here, yes, of course, but there's no quality of life. When the quality of life is diminished, that's Ki'ilu, that's tantamount, it's the equivalent of a Sakonis Nefoshis. That's a famous shot from Reb Chaim, Reb this comes up. Reb about a, um, when can uh, mental illness be treated like a Sakonis Nefoshis? So Moshe has a tshuva that only if the person is suicidal, then it's like, it's always a chayle, right? But to, when it is good enough to be mechal shabbos and other issues, sometimes it has to rise to the level of sakonis nefoshes. When is it sakonis nefoshes? So Moshe says if the person is suicidal, does that mean he had ideation, no ideation? Did he think about a plan of suicide? Not think about it, whatever it is. If the person is suicidal, we could discuss the details another time, sakonis nefoshes. But short of that, not. Sometimes you don't know, but okay, but short of that, not. There's a famous plaque from Reb Chaim, Reb Chaim said no. Even if the person is not, he's not going to commit suicide. But his quality of life will be so impacted. I mean, he'll never be able to get better unless he violates whatever, you know, Chil Shabbos and stay, or Machol Sassurus and goes to a, you know, a facility that can service him, and there they don't have any kosher food or whatever, there's no Shemir Shabbos, whatever it is. So then if a person's long-term prognosis will never be able to come, you know, never be able to be rehabilitated or to, you know, become, uh, be able to manage the situation, um, you know, without this kind of therapy or treatment, it's also treated as a conistant Because to a certain degree, quality of life, sometimes we do treat as a conistant So getting back over here, I think that's the case as well with regards to tzedakah, that sometimes the shipping tzedakah can be treated as dina and because... 
um, because it impacts a person's quality of life. So it's not only dine mom, it's dine nefashas. And therefore, you have to take great care in distributing tzedakah, whoever's a vat of tzedakah, whether it's a bikr chaylam, whether it's a private tzedakah, taniyim. It's very important to make sure that we're doing so with the proper cheshmer, with the proper yeshiv and shiko hadas, because it could be dine mamanis, if not dine mamanis, dine nefashas, maybe. So the Gemara here uh, says, though, of course, when you're collecting this tzedakah, you need to. You need to. And we explain that that's because of the position of authority. Because you could persuade others to give tzedakah. So the Gemara says over here on the fifth line, you need to. And why is the position of authority? They used to take collateral for the tzedakah. In the community, everybody had to give a certain amount of tzedakah. There was a communal plate. That was known as the kupa and the tamkhoi. One was for the aniyah here, one was for the aniyah from other cities. And it was a communal, like an enforced kind of tax of, uh, you know, for tzedakah, a welfare tax for people within the community, a kind of a safety net for people in the community. So everyone in the community was expected to give towards that. And some who were, were more, you know, more, more resources were expected to give more. So the Mar says, Even Arab Shabbos, we can take a collateral to make sure that people give tzedakah. And the Gemara here at the, uh, uh, says, Six lines down. He took 400 zuz from Nassim Barami for tzedakah. And therefore, it's considered to be a position of authority and you have to have two people involved. Taisis and Baba Basu, the last thing over here, Oisiyot on the first side of the sheet, asks, how can we compel people to give tzedakah whenever there's a mitzvah shemata and tzchar? Normally, you can't compel people to do mitzvahs unless it's a mitzvah, say shemata and tzchar b'tzidah. If the Torah tells you why you, there is such a mitzvah, you can't compel people. Because you know why we persuade people to do mitzvahs, we compel them to do mitzvahs, is because they don't, might not understand, appreciate the real significance of this mitzvah. You don't know how much reward there is for this mitzvah. So we're here to tell you about it and how to persuade it, you know, you, you, you to, to do it based on that reason. If the Torah itself says what the reason for the mitzvah is, like by Kibbutz Aviyem, the Gemara says, Torah says, Yamecha. Because you have a rikos yamim. If that's not good enough for you as a reason to do the mitzvah, keep it heavy in that we, we have nothing to add. We, we, we can't compel you to do the mitzvah. So that's what the Gemara says in Chulun with regards to keep it heavy in. Since the reason for the mitzvah is right there, we can't compel you to do it. Because if you're ignoring that, so then we have nothing to add. So you can't compel people to do stuck whenever the mitzvah, whenever there's a matan schar Whenever the Torah says what the reward is. Matan schar today, people colloquially mean that I give you a tip, you know, for doing and I'm, 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 you know. A taiva for me, that's not what it means. What it means is the Torah said, literally, you know, in the Chalacha, what it means is that the Torah says the reward for the mitzvah right next to it. So tzedakah also, the Torah says the reward uh, that if a person gives tzedakah, the Pesach and Parashat Re'eh. So if a person gives tzedakah, the Torah says why you should do it. So then uh, you can't compel people to give tzedakah. How is it that over here, Rav was forcing Rav Nassim Barami to give tzedakah. We compel people to give tzedakah. That's why you need two people. You can't compel people to give tzedakah because the Torah says why you should do it. If you're not, that's not good enough, so we're in way of nothing to add to that equation. So how is it that he was able to compel him to give tzedakah? So Titus here has a number of terutzim. Maybe uh, he persuaded him, but he didn't compel him. Persuading is always allowed. Musa Shmuzin, there's no limit, right? So that, that, that's always allowed. What it means is kind of more forceful. Um, you know, then we don't do it if the Torah already gives a reason. That's not good enough for the individual. But persuading, maybe that, that, that is always allowed. Maybe it's because by tzedakah, there's a lois say too. It's not just an assay. There's a lois say. Person shouldn't harden his heart or you know close his hand. So since there's a lois say involved, that's why you always have to give tzedakah. If a person gave ma'aser already, or even if he gave chaymish, if there's an ani that presents himself to us, you always have to give him something. It's a lois say to turn people away without giving them without giving them anything. If it's the ani himself, I think if it's a collector, I don't think that that applies. But if it's the ani himself, the ani alain comes and answers tzedakah, you're not supposed to turn him away empty-handed. It's a loisase to do that, not to harden your heart. The other terrorist faces has over here is maybe they're not 
obligated to compel someone if it's Matan Scharbetzida, but they always have the liberty of doing so, and Rabbi exercised that right to force people to do it, even though he wasn't obligated necessarily to do it. They've got a taste of a lot of different Teirutsim, but they quoted the name of Rabbi in different Teirutsim. The Rebbe said there's two mitzvahs of tzedakah. There's one mitzvah of tzedakah, and there's two parashiyas of tzedakah in the Torah. One in parashiyas Re, one in parashiyas Bahar. Um, and Rebbe explained the reason why there's two parashiyas in the Torah of tzedakah, because one is a chayvis hayachid, one is a chayvis hatzibor. There's a chayvis hayachid to give tzedakah, every individual has to do tzedakah. But then there's a chayvis hatzibor to make sure that the tzibor is taken care of. There should be a safety net for the tzibor. I have to give tzedakah to make me a good individual, to make me a bal chesed. You know, there's a lot of, you know, things that I need to fix with giving tzedakah for myself and make me, you know, a giver, you know. However, there's a whole separate idea of tzedakah that it was established as a safety net for the community. And that's why there were communal plates for tzedakah. This was something that was meant as the community had to do together. So, in fact, that's what the, they claim, that this is what the rift means over here, Oisir Aleph. The Baal quotes the name of the rift. The only time you can force people, compel people to give tzedakah is if it's the communal tzedakah, not a personal obligation to give tzedakah, but to give towards that, what the Gemara there is discussing, that kupa that was for the people of the city, that's where you can force people to give tzedakah. Why? Why is that different? So the Ritva already gives us an indication. Many Chorinim uh, cite this Ritva. That it's because the Ritva over here on the last line of Oisid Beis writes that it's because sometimes tzedakah is viewed as machayrim shalaniyim. See, the mitzvah of tzedakah could be viewed from two sides. It could be viewed from the giver side. Now, what do I have to give? Or it could be from the receiver side. What are they entitled to receive? So when it comes to the private mitzvah of tzedakah, that's about me, the giver. When it comes to the communal obligation of tzedakah, that's about them and what they are entitled to receive. And since they are entitled to receive this money, a Baruch Hu blessed the community with these resources in order that we should distribute it accordingly. So then, you know, we are just custodians of the money that is supposed to go to the NEM, and they have a right to that money, like anybody who has a right to a loan to collect the loan. So just like sometimes the NEM have the right, you know, a person can collect a loan. How aggressive you can be in collecting a loan is another discussion. Can I, you know, go and seize assets and other dinas, you know, and all that? But whatever it is, you have a kind of lien on property sometimes, but you certainly, you can, you know, actively have that lien, but certainly you're entitled to the money in a monetary sense, and that we would compel people to pay back that kind of obligation. And so too, tzedakah has that element to it as well, if not on the personal level, you know, me as an individual, but certainly the community has an obligation to, uh, to give, you know, money to these uh, individuals, and we have to view ourselves as if we were blessed with these resources on their, you know, as... Uh, on their behalf, to give the money to distribute it accordingly. And therefore, even though normally a mitzvah, you can't compel people to do that, that's a personal mitzvah. A communal mitzvah, the money is owed to the aniyim, and just like you could collect a loan, we could compel people to give tzedakah too, because we have an obligation to set up that kind of communal safety net. And every community has an obligation, not as only as individuals to give tzedakah, but to people within the community of course, Ania Yircha are always Kogman, but even beyond that, we have an obligation to establish a safety net within the community, and that you can compel people if we had a communal structure, which we don't, where, where there was an assessment that everyone had to give a certain amount of tzedakah, but at least in theory, that concept exists, which is important, you know, at least categorically, that we have this obligation. The Gemara here says one other detail of tzedakah, which I think is important, and comes up often with regards to Gaboy tzedakah, and over here on the uh, third line, back in Ois Aleph, the Gemara outlines a lot of the rules. The Gemara says, They can switch one, you know, the plate for the collection, one was for the B'nai one was for the They can switch it for whatever they want. So they have the liberty to slush around, to move around the money. 
in the Kupa Shostaka and to reallocate it from one thing to the other. Certainly if there's surplus in one, to move it, uh, you know, to transfer it to another need. So Taisvis and the Rishayim already ask, how are you able to do this? The Gemara says in Masechus Erech and the following. Look over here, Oisya Dawid. If a person says, I'm going to give you know, a certain amount of money to Tzedakah, until he gives it to the Gabai, um, he can transfer uh, the money to a uh, different mitzvah, but maybe even you know, to Advar Harashus. Until it comes to the Yad Gabai, he can transfer this money out. Why? When he makes a donation, he obligates himself to give a certain amount of Tzedakah. You know, that's a nether. He has to follow through on that nether. What it means is he's obligated to pay that amount. This money, Lavdafka. So this money he can lend out. This money he can reallocate to something else. Um, he obviously owes that amount of money uh, to Tzedakah. But this, you know, particular, this, you know, chefts of mamon, he can use, uh, he can use for something else. Misha Basliyad Gabai, So when it comes to the hand of the Gabai, he cannot, you know, lend it out any further. You cannot switch what it was intended for. Um, you know, to another communal need. So Taisus asks over here, or the Gemara there says on the second line, person donates something to Shul, he donates the Menorah, donates the Pereiches, we have no right to switch it and use it for the garbage bags. With Varashus, we have no right to use it for something that's not a mitzvah, that's not essential to the Shul. It's interesting, the Gemara here says, we could talk about it another time, if everyone forgot who donated it, so then we can switch it. You have yeshivas like that. They have clocks. They rotate. You know, uh, everyone forgot who this family was. So then uh, they rotate it to the basement. And I guess if someone from the family shows up, they put it back. But otherwise, you know, it's gone for all intents and purposes. While you is full. The basement is full of clocks. So, from, so, so uh, we need more, more in the basement. <laughs> we need, that, that's why we have a basement here, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Anyway, that's an interesting halacha, but, but, but as long as people remember, you're not allowed to switch with Varashus. So Taisus says over here, Gimel, how were they able to switch? What do you mean that they were able to so they could switch it for whatever they want? How could they switch it for whatever they want? Once it reaches the Yad Gabai, you cannot switch it. Once it was donated and the Bnei Ir collected it, they can't switch it. Or you see from the shul that they can't switch it. So how were they able to switch to the to an infractor? Benu Tam used to take the kupa from Staka, the surplus, and use it to pay the guards of the city or the garbage collection or other needs in the city that were not a Dvar Mitzvah. He took the money and used it for other things. What gave him the right to do that? So Rabbeinu Tam's opinion was that that was permitted uh, because the, the B'nai Ha'ir, the people who are in charge of the city, the trustees of the city, something we mentioned the other week, the Shiva Tuvei Ha'ir, have the right, and people give money, I'll das them, and they have the right to move funds around from place to place, because it was given with them, uh, with them in mind. If you don't have that sign or that same kind of assumption, so maybe not necessarily so, they wouldn't necessarily have the right to move things around, but Rabbeinu Tam felt that the B'nai Ha'ir have the right to do that. The Rimi Gash over here, Oist Zion disagrees. It's a famous psaac uh, of the Rimigash, all the Rishayim, quoting the name of the Rimigash, Rimigash holds. No, they weren't able to do that. What it meant in the shul was from thing to thing in the shul. Because you gave money to the shul, you have in mind all the things in the shul. When the Gemara said, so that meant within the uh, realm in which it was given. So Aniyim, for Aniyim, other things within the city, city maintenance for city maintenance, but it didn't mean to switch from one pocket to the other, from one need to another need, from a mitzvah to Dvar Rishus. Uh, Rimi Gash held that that, uh, that was never allowed, and he cites a Mishnah Mishach Lishkom, which is important. The Mishnah says over here, Ois says Vav Moiser Aniim Laaniim. You collect for the Aniim, the extra goes to the Aniim. Moiser Ani Laani. You collect extra for a certain cause, goes for the Ani. Moiser Shvuim Shvuim, Moiser Shavu Moiser Shavu. For Peter and Shvuim in general, should go for Shvuim. Extra for you know Shavu, it should go to that captive 
who was redeemed. So Rimi Gash says, you see from here, you cannot switch money around from place to place. If extra surplus is collected, has to be used, designated for that cause. If it's for one individual, has to be used for that individual. And they sound like they get the money and you can't reallocate it to, uh, you know, to something else. So the Rosh here defends Rabbeinu Tam, and he says, no, that's talking about not where it was don- donated as part of the communal obligations. There, it's assumed you can move things around from place to place. Here was for one individual, one cause. You made an appeal for Katrina. You made an appeal for COVID. You made an appeal for one individual who's in need within our community. So then, then the money is locked in for that cause. And you have no right necessarily to slush it around from place to place unless you stipulated, which we should always do, stipulate that if there's surplus funds, we're going to use it for other mitzvahs and toivim, not to pay for the garbage bags, but for other mitzvahs and toivim, and that gives us the latitude to move it around subsequently. However, if it's locked, then uh, if it's for one cause, it's locked in. Do they have a responsibility to return, you know, in like civil law? Yeah, yeah, we'll get to one second. Yeah. So that's, this halach is quoted over here in Shulchan Aruch, simulation of Vav Siv Dalin. The Shulchan Aruch says if you, uh, you know, the B'nai Ho'ir have the right to move funds around, the shock over here, though, quotes that if it's collected for one individual, one cause, like the Rosh said, so then that money goes to that individual, then it goes, uh, it remains with that cause. However, the Rush quotes from Yushalmi, and this is very controversial, over here at the end of Yisud Zion, that uh, if it's collected for that cause, it has to stay within that realm, within that, uh, that, that area. But don't get angry at the people in charge. What does that mean? Don't get angry at the people in charge. So the Rosh says, If they, even in that situation, if they feel there's a need to move the money from place to place, they have the right to do that. That's the way it's interpreted by the Shach. That even when it's earmarked, if the people in charge of the Staka feel that there's need to move it from place to place, they have the right to do that. And the Chach Masadim disagrees with this. So if you look in the Svarim and Tzedakah, they'll say that this is a Machlech Sapaiskim. If it's earmarked for something and there's extra, do you have the right to move it to somewhere else? That's a little bit of a machlekes. The shach feels the people in charge, uh, you know, have the right to do that. Everyone understood when they gave the money that there are people in charge, they have the right to do it. But, uh, you know, others are, are not so happy about it. But there's an important halacha, um, you look back at Ois Aleph, the, the Gemara there discusses Ravashi. Ravashi says, even though a person who's not in charge of tzedakah wants to move tzedakah around, he has to make a tanai when I accept the tzedakah, understand I might not lock it into this one cause that you donated it for. Uh, Ravashi says, on the last line of Ois Aleph, Anyone who gives tzedakah to me, Ravashi says, anyone who gives tzedakah to me, he was like a rabbi. You give a, you give an opinion to the rabbi, you know the rabbi's going to use You don't have the right to earmark it with the rabbi. You can say, I want it for this or that, but it doesn't matter. You give it to the rabbi, you understand the rabbi's going to use it whatever he deems necessary. So, so too over here, if a person gives tzedakah to an Adam Godel, or there's a Gabbai Tzedakah who it's understood that we all trust, and there's a, you know, a, a Vad that's in charge of Tzedakah, and we give it for them, and we understand that they're in charge of it, and they're going to they're gonna, uh, administer it properly, so then at a certain point it's understood that, that even if there's a surplus, it's, um, it, it's, uh, it's going to be distributed for, uh, allocated perhaps uh, for, for other things. What if, though, you collect the money for a certain need, the need disappears? I know there's a the collected for a mikvah in Mansi, and then someone paid for it all by themselves. So money disappeared. So what do you do with the money? So in that situation, you have to, in that situation, it says in Shulchan Aruch, you should return the money. Why isn't it? The only won the lottery. Oh, yeah, yeah, they talk about that. What if the Ani wins the lottery? So then, so then you should return, uh, return the money. No, if the Ani wins the lottery, it could be he's still entitled to the money. Yeah, that's why, a, why a, 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 a
What do you mean? That no, that we said if they took if they got too much uh, money, they can keep it and use it for other things. Yeah. So over here, that's if you collected for one cause that's earmarked, and assuming you don't have this kind of you know assumption that you're administering lots of different stockers. I think if we the shul would collect for a mikvah, people understood. But here it was like a group of people getting together to pay for a mikvah, and then there was no global entity. They were all pooling their money for that mikvah, and then someone said, you know what? I don't want you guys involved in my mikvah. I'll t- I'll take care of it myself, and I'll be in charge. So, you know, he took the ball and he created a court for everyone, but he wanted to be in charge of the ball. So then, then you have to return, then you have to return the money. Yeah. Interesting. One final luck, and this comes up all the time with people who run foundations. Can we invest money? Let's say there's surplus money. A person allocates money for tzedakah as a fidelity account. Can you invest it, you know, for the benefit of the aniyam? So the Gemara says over here, Mesechus Ksubis Oishchav, Ein Mishtakum Bishel Hektish. You're not supposed to invest Hektish or for the Aniyim. Hektish, because ain't Aniyim b'makum ashiris. It's funny, in the times of the Gemara, you only invested if you were poor. If you were rich, you didn't invest, because poor people need money. The rich people didn't need money. So that's why you don't invest money, because ain't Aniyim b'makum ashiris. People use that in different contexts. But the, the, the Gemara says over here, money of Aniyim, you shouldn't invest either. Why? Because maybe you want money on hand when they come to, they need a donation, or maybe you'll lose the money. Lots of uh, investments, uh, go down. So it says in Shulchan Aruch, you're not really supposed to invest money of tzedakah. Um, Shulchan Aruch says over here, Eitz Chafalev, Shem Yavo Enivo Yehem Mos Lechalek. But the Pesach Yitzhak quotes, but the Ramal says, if you create a Karen, the Yochel Peirush Shari, if you create it, having in mind that there's going to be a, um, a capital and you're going to throw off interest, and certainly if that's the way it's set up from the beginning, and that's understood, then of course, I even think the Karen you can deduct as miser the first time that you set it aside is the Karen that's going to throw off uh, you know, interest for, miser, for, you know, for tzedakah. That can be counted as miser. You should set up your tzedakah with that in mind. Um, but it, it can be if you're investing certainly in, in trustworthy assets that are not likely to go down and you have other money on hand to distribute to any if necessary. But the Pisay Chuva quotes over here in the name of Chmudi Daniel, even though in Shulchan Aruch this isn't so clear that you can invest the money of tzedakah and then throw off the interest. Today the meaning is to allow this to be done because it's assumed that when you, you know, that, 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 you know, that uh, this kind of risk is, is allowed in investing tzedakah because it is for the benefit of the Aniyam and since it's ultimately for the benefit of the Aniyam. You know, it can, it can be done. Is it Rebus on the Karen? What? Is it Rebus on Karen? If I lend that money, can I lend that money with Rebus?